Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider. Where we're smashing up cinema one movie at a time. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking fact about cinema? On this episode of Cinema Super Collider, we talk about the 1951 Christmas gangster film, The Lemon Drop Kid. Hey guys, and I'm going to apologize early on and in advance. I have been sick for like the last week, so my voice is a little rocky today. So, I think your voice sounds good compared to the last couple of days. Well, you've you've heard it over the last few days, whereas our, our lovely listeners have not. So I've mostly heard you moaning and coughing. I've been, this is, I had a flu shot this year, guys, and this is the sickest I've been in. I can't even remember. So I had a flu shot too, and I've been living with you side by side for days, and I have not contracted it. So somehow Eric has avoided this, which is good because I felt like I was dying for the I last two really days. I really don't need to feel that way. Christmas no. is coming. And this is a movie that used to show every year around Christmas time on the local channel here in Chicago, WGN. They were kind of like, when I was growing up, it, that, that was kind of like the main local channel. The Cubs were always on WGN, and they always had these like old movies that they would show. And it, it was, the other channels were affiliated with networks, but WGN was its own thing. And this was something that they did kind of every year. And I just remember it a lot growing up as a kid, kind of watching it. And I remember enjoying it. I don't re- didn't remember really details of the story. And didn't remember it as being terribly funny, but I remembered liking it. And uh, we screened it, and I ended up liking it more this time than I even remember liking it. I think maybe it went over my head as a little kid, or maybe I just kind of drifted in and out of attention because it's not like it's not a little kid's movie, really. It, it's no, it's I'd never heard of it, I'd never seen it, so this was a first for me. Um, but. I'm kind of surprised that they don't play this movie more. Yeah, right? Uh, at least not like nowadays, because I feel like... They show Christmas Story like every 15 minutes. Well, the, a lot of people have nostalgia for Christmas Story. Yeah. Um, and the, But they again, guys, and I admit, I need to see this film. I know I need to see It's a Wonderful Life. I just haven't. It sounds depressing to me. I know everyone loves it. I'd I'd much rather watch The Lemon Drop Kid, not having seen the other one, <laughs> just because it's not depressing. It's fun. There's a few 1950s grandpa things in it that we'll just sort of like just we'll just shove that under the I, rug a little. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, well, what you're talking about, I I gather, is a slight of uh, it. I would hesitate to even call it racist. I would call it like a condescending moment that is insensitive, but it it's it's not played that way in the film. Well, also the sort of like kidnapping and treatment of ladies. 
Well, yeah, uh, that's played for jokes, but it seems like uh, it throughout the whole film, it seems kind of like it's all in good fun. It doesn't seem like there's like a real danger. It's a story of a criminal, a small time crook uh, played by Bob Hope, con man who cons a, a mob boss out of a lot. Of, it's sort of like the story of the sting, really. It, he cons a mob boss accidentally out of a lot of money and he winds up owing this guy even more money and he has to get it by Christmas or they're going to kill him. So he comes up with a scheme to uh, pretend to be Santa Clauses on the street collecting money little by little in order to collect enough money to pay off his debts. But he has to go through all kinds of stuff in order to get to that point. He also has a girlfriend who wants to marry him. And he also has uh, sort of like no money and no cred on the street anymore. He's kind of tapped out. And then they they do like a sting operation, really, at sort the end of, of the yeah. movie. And then uh, it's kind of like a, a happy ending. And sure. Silver Bells, the song happens along the way. Right. So that's just, that's the st- my best summary, I think, of this movie. Right. So Silver Bells is the, it, this is the first time it appeared on film. But apparently it had, it had been recorded by Bing Crosby and had come out the Christmas uh, prior to the release of this film, which was in March of 1951. I, what did they? I guess they had this sitting on the shelf, or, or they said that they reshot part of uh, they reshot the Silver Bells sequence, which is the most. The, the, clearly, they spent the most time and effort doing that Silver Bells sequence well, because they, it was like an MGM musical. They had filmed it in the summer of 1950, right? And, and then I guess maybe it just got. It was supposed to get released during during Christmas time, or they just didn't think about releasing it during Christmas time, which is weird because the whole thing is like the whole con revolves around christmas and there's santa clauses and shit this so. has way more christmas in it than that christmas movie we watched being oh riff tracked we watched it, this movie called beyond christmas which is horrible it has no christmas in it virtually no christmas in well it they sort all. of hand wave it at the very beginning like oh, the man. setup is like it's it, oh, guys it, don't watch that don't watch it don't, don't even watch look it. for don't it even, it's, don't it's, even don't even the riff tracks i feel sorry for uh bridget mary joe do the riff tracks on that one because it's it's bad it's i can't even sit through it i had a hard time making it through anyway this is it's like a straight up it's a straight up christmas movie it's the author of the original book that this is quote unquote based on is a guy named damon runyon who is also the author of a book or a short story that guys and dolls was based on so this has a certain similarity to guys and dolls everybody in it who's like a small time crook has got some colorful name like toothpick charlie or yeah or uh what was the guy like no uh, there's like an, there's, oxford uh sam and uh, well oxford charlie is oxford the, charlie is the like rival it's yeah. the club owner that owes yeah. a whole bunch of money. He's got big feet and he always wears Oxfords. Right. And it's, it also reminds me of Some Like It Hot, which came out, I would say, around 1950. And there was a guy named Spats Columbo in that. And sure. They, these are like colorful gangsters. And they spoke in this kind of patois, I don't know, that was popular at a certain time. This they, is when, they called all women dolls. This is when gangsters were like fun, like fun guys that were like, you know, colorful dudes instead of like Scarface and right. Goodfellas where they were just murder machines. Yeah. It's like that. The, any, Not it, saying that they weren't the same thing back then. I'm just saying in films, they were fun. We didn't see anybody killed in this film. In Some Like It Hot, you see, there is a murder that happens. You see the guy A shooting, murder? Hmm? A murder? A murder. 
and it, you see the uh, Amoida. They, they they shoot with the, like a submachine gun. It's the uh, uh, their version of the Saint Valentine's Day massacre that happens. Right. But you don't see anybody fall down and die because it's a comedy. This is a sort of pale reflection of Some Like It Hot as a comedy. It's not. It's not even in the same. No. It's category. Mm-mm. But it has like the same kind of picture of gangsters as being these dangerous characters, but. They're not like scary dangerous. They're sort of like fantasy dangerous. Yeah, I mean, murder, dangerous to other people. Murder is on the table because that's the, the whole plot point is that Bob Hope's going to get murdered. But mm-hmm. yeah. Well, this is one of those rare Bing Crosby movies that doesn't have this Bob Hope in it. This is not a Bing Crosby movie. This is one of those rare Bob Hope movies that doesn't have Bing Crosby in it. Yeah. I mean, look, they were paired up in a lot of shit. But they didn't need each other to make movies. In fact, another famous Christmas movie has Bing Crosby in it, but not Bob Hope. Yeah. That's one of my favorites, White Christmas. Yeah. I kind of feel like Bing Crosby could carry a movie by himself better than Bob Hope. But Bob Hope, when you watch him, you can see even the jokes that aren't that funny, they're kind of like enough to give you a smile. And you see how so much of modern comedy grows out of a style that Bob Hope pioneered. This kind of, uh, he's kind of like the the, the schlubby character that uh, uh, Woody Allen plays, or the, uh, the, he's kind of, he's kind of weak and weaselly, and he's always being kind of sarcastic and getting by in his wits, but he's not conventionally a leading man, right? I mean, that's kind of his bit. Yeah. He's he, in this film. He's played as being attractive to women, but he's not attractive because he's such a handsome fellow. Although look, he thinks he is. Look, neither was Bing Crosby. Both of them were 1950s handsome, which is to say they were white men of a certain type that kind of looked like maybe they had a little bit of like something going on. Yeah, Bing Crosby though had this thing being a crooner, which was a he'd sing these romantic songs and you'd hear them on the radio, I guess in the back in the day and the girls would go, "Ah, oh, wow, his voice is so romantic." And I think he had that going for him, and then Bob Hope had like the snappy sarcastic wise guy thing going for him. Look, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope were essentially uh the Johnny Carson and David Letterman of their time, mm. right? Because yeah, one so, of them yeah. was the sarcastic, funny guy, and the other one was sort of like smoother and more like pulled together. Yeah, he like, could be funny too, but he was funny in a more smooth way. And they were essentially edgy-like. frenemies because they they were trying to tap into the exact same market in everything that they did. They uh, frenemies is exactly right because in every single road movie with Hope and Crosby in it, they're constantly sniping. They're they're breaking the fourth wall very slightly and constantly sniping at one another. I guess they might have been rivals on radio shows, the Bob yes. Hope radio show. No, they 100% Crosby. were. And so it was kind of expected that they were supposed to be kind of sniping at one another. And in this film with Bob Hope, he has a few like zings at Bing Crosby even without Crosby there and it's like well, the, la- the you know, last line in the movie is a zing at Crosby the last line in the movie there's a cow and he says hey, get out of the way Crosby or something like yeah. that yeah. there's this big dumb cow mooing in the in the scene and it's even funny today because you know what's happening but at the time the movie came out that must have been like really funny to people because it's that, that would be like seeing uh somebody uh, uh it would be seeing like a uh, judd apatow or it would be like seeing seth uh, it's like cardi b throwing a shoe at Nicki minaj oh that well, now you totally you wiped me out yeah uh, just like that 100 okay. percent like that Except it's not at all like that. Yeah. It's but I like to think of it like, just imagine Bob Hope throwing a shoe at Bing Crosby. Yeah. 
I feel like everybody probably knows that and I'm the only one who doesn't. So it's, I have a feeling that this is what other people feel when they listen to me talk. <laughs> so I'm hip. I know what the kids are talking about. I know who Nicki Minaj is. I don't know who Cardi B is, but I can imagine. And, uh, you know, good. I mean, I'm glad they have a feud because I'm sure it must be good for business. Anyway, let's talk about the movie. Why don't you give us a little bit about how it starts off? Because I always do that. I know I know your voice is failing, but if I'll get some voice out of you now, then I can continue the rest of the show. All right. We'll see how long this takes me to get through without coughing. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So we first see the Lemon Drop Kid running a con at a racetrack in Miami, Florida. And basically the deal is, is he's doing all kinds of stuff. They call it, I think he's, he's, he's called touting, a tout. Yeah. He's touting. So basically what he's doing is he's trying to convince a lot of people that he has inside information on the race that if the, if the horse that they bet on wins, they're going to be so grateful to him that they're going to give him some of their money. And he works this angle with a bunch of different people, a bunch of different yokels. He, at one point, the very first shot of the movie is him with the horse, like whispering into his ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, which he has a lemon drop like hidden behind his ear, uh, as if the horse was telling him who's going to win the race. And- yeah, yeah, this is the kind of environment. It's like he's he, the horse was whispering to him, and then he goes over to some obviously rich people who are you know want to bet on some horse, right? And he says, "No, no, no, don't bet on that horse. Bet on this other one because I got the inside information." And he does. He finds all the rich people in, that he can run into and kind of do like, this. Too. Yeah, he cons them, and he picks every different horse all the way up and down. Right. So inevitably, one of them is going to win, and that person who's promised to share some of their winnings with him will give him some money. So it's foolproof. You just have to stay out of way of the other 10 people that you touted losing horses to. Sure. Now, the biggest loser of this first race, he gets he does his touting thing to what appears to be this like, you know, a rich southern belle, like a Kentucky. Who's got like $2,000 and $100 bills in her hand. And he convinces her to bet on the horse that comes in last. But what we don't know at the time is that she is actually the daughter of this gangster guy who... When he finds out that she gets duped into betting all of his money on this other horse, it's real pissed off because he he knows the guy who's doing this shit. Yeah, he's this guy, Lemon Drop Kid. Everybody knows him, and they know him like one. He's he's just a he's a kind of like a a degenerate low life kind of. Uh, uh, he's not he's a, a gangster. Con. He's yeah. a con guy. Yeah, it's small time. Right, small time crook who who cons people out of you know fifty bucks here and there, and kind of makes his living doing little scams along the way. Right, fixing a dice game or setting up some sort of like small time operation. Yeah, he's a low rank, low rank. <laughs> he's ranked. He's one of the world's top anthropologists. He's a low rent gangster yeah. of sorts because he doesn't seem to work for anyone in particular, but everyone who has goons that work for him knows who he is. Yeah, he's one of these gangsters who just he never has any money because he's always on to the next con. He just he can con just barely enough to keep him in clothes and food and shelter until he gets his next con in. So it's right. it's that's the type of guy we're talking about. So obviously he runs afoul of this gangster. The gangster basically puts his feet to the fire and is like, look, you essentially blew two thousand dollars of mine. Yeah, and Bob Hope's like, you know, well, I can get you to $2,000. He's like, no, 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 no. Because if my daughter had bet on the horse she was supposed to, I would have won $10,000. So you don't owe me $2,000, you owe me $10,000. And if you don't pay me, like, by tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. I got my surgeon in the other room. We see some guy being 
essentially like beat up in the next room. Yeah. And so Bob Hope's like, look, I I can't get you it by tomorrow. I know that. How about you give me till Christmas? There's 23 days till Christmas. I'll be able to go back to New York, hit up all these guys that owe me money. I can make something happen for you. He says, yeah, tell me, just give me the name of one of these guys. And he goes, uh, well, there's, uh, uh, just don't you worry. I'll, I'll, I'll get my money. I got it. Don't worry. I totally confident on this. So, so he quickly runs away to New York, uh, and basically back to the old neighborhood where, you know, they were talking about Broadway at, right. at the time, and that's where all Broadway this kind of was stuff not went but, down. Yeah, Broadway was not like the place where you would go see fun theater shows and shit back in the day. It was actually kind of a pit. There wasn't yeah. a lot going on on it. Yeah, sort of like the way the Times Square used to be. Yeah, uh, and then people renovated it and made it into this place where you went and saw theater and shit. I think that there probably were the big Broadway theaters, but this is downtown from all of that. And this is where it was kind of like the rough part of town. Sure. Yeah. It's and that's that's where he goes. He doesn't have any winter clothes. He the only clothes he has is the the clothes on his back. That's all he owns at this point in like 15 cents, which is like a white suit, which is perfectly fine for Miami, but not for New York in the middle of winter. And you wouldn't you know, it's snow and it's cold and it's windy and you see all this you see a little bit of uh, stock footage just a little bit and then you see him just trying to walk down the street in this wind with his slippery shoes on and two little girl scouts have to help him he actually blows around a corner which was a gag i thought was pretty good yeah it's good the wind is blowing him so hard he can't walk and it just blows him around a corner and these two little little girl scouts help him out and he does you know the usual bobo brush off thing yeah, yeah thanks yeah there's a certain element of vaudeville that's still present it like in this movie the way that you would have seen you know some of the folks that had done vaudeville I can't remember if Hope had started on a vaudeville stage or not. I don't. There was enough of it in the air that I think it was just kind of. I think he was in the Catskills. I think he did Catskill stuff. But, oh, wow. Um, but yeah, like it's nice to see. Even in 1950s, it's nice to see. This, there's just like a little bit of holdover from like yeah. the comedy that you would have seen on a vaudeville stage. Yeah, it's like like he, he the way he dismisses the kids. Every kid in this movie, the way he sort of treats them dismissively, is reminiscent of that idea, that vaudeville idea of like never share the stage with a kid or an animal. Because they will always upstage you. Oh my god! So like every time you see a a kid on there, he's like, "Get out of my way, kid!" Or he he actually kicks a kid in the butt. He kicks a kid in the butt, which is cool. Yeah, more kids need to be kicked in the butt. Yeah, there's not like he steals a Boy Scout's bicycle. Not like not like really hard in the butt. No, no, no. Dismissively in the butt. Like, no, no, no. Okay, I'm done with you. Poop. There you go. Yeah, the kid says something to him that he doesn't like, and he just like kicks him. in the butt. He steals a, a Boy Scout's bicycle. Yep. And he, he does that thing with the two little Chinese kids. He kind of like pats him on the head and, and uh, uh, like shoes him off. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was one of the grandpa moments in the film. I know. Because uh, I believe that that was actually during the song Silver Bells. It was during the song Silver uh, Bells. You know, in Silver Bells, they make all the bell noises. You know, ring-a-ling. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there because you already did. Uh-huh. With the Chinese children, so... Yeah, he makes some sort of Chinese <clears throat> bell noise when he, like, taps them on the head. Not okay, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, as far a, as that kind great... of thing goes, I'm not going to defend his doing that, but it's like... It's grandpa jokes. Your grandpa thought it was hilarious in 1950. Yeah, I, th- I don't I don't even know if anyone thought that that was hilarious. It, it was, was just, acceptable in It was just him interacting with these kids, which was, you know, every time he interacts with kids, he does it in a dismissive way. In any case, he... he he gets these girlfriends to help the, the girlfriends. He gets these Girl Scouts to help him around the corner. And he goes to see his girlfriend. Right? Brainy. Brainy, his girl. 
girlfriend and she's sitting there pining away for him, I guess. She, she's got a big like, eight by 10 black and white glossy headshot of Bob Hope framed. Uh, and she hears a knock on the door and she takes the, the, the picture in the frame and like ditches it in the trash and then, you know, erases any kind of. And hides her purse because she knows, ladies, she knows this guy. Right. We all know this. Guy. Everybody knows this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, he's an operator, I guess, and uh, he's the type that has a girlfriend so that he always has a place to crash and someone who can make him some food and someone mm-hmm. he can scam some money off of. Love. And kind of stringing her, stringing her along, saying, I'm going to marry you one day, honey. True but love. But he has no really uh, interest in that. Yep. So he gets money from her and goes and gets his clothes and uh, starts walking around the city looking for some scam to run, and he notices all of these Santa Claus people on the street ringing their bells, you know, like for the Salvation Army guys, right? Pretty much, yeah. Except they don't... they're all dressed in Santa suits back in the 50s. They, right. Yeah. And they're not specifically Salvation Army. No, no, no. It's not labeled Salvation Army, but it's the, the idea that you have a Christmas Santa ringing a bell in a pot of money saying, give money to the homeless, give money to the poor, and right. everybody walking along drops in a few quarters. And he finds out that wow, these guys can make $1,000 a day, you know, and a, a bunch of them. And he thinks, well, I'm going to try that. He tries it and he fucks it up and he winds up in jail, right? Right, because he's basically panhandling. Yeah, yeah. He gets, the, the, the judge throws him in jail for panhandling. And the uh, mob goon comes by and says, well, now you got 10 days in jail. You, you only had 14 days until Christmas. Now 10 of them are spent in jail. So good luck, buddy. After that, you got four days to raise that $10,000. I'll be seeing ya. But his girlfriend bails him out because we all know that woman, everybody. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. A lousy boyfriend that you can't quite give up on, even nope. though he's a terrible guy. Mm-mm. And, um, but then he figures it out. He's like, okay, so you need a license to do this. And there's this casino that's empty that the mob boss that I owe $10,000 has that he can't run because it's illegal. I'm going to do this thing where I set up an old folks home for old ladies because one of my buddies is this old lady who just got kicked out of her apartment. Yeah, she's kind of a low, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call her low life, but she's a friend of crooks and criminals. And well, she's married like the, to a safe cracker. She's married to a safe cracker and she always gives aid and comfort to the, 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 the degenerates. degenerates and bums and stuff. And they all help her out. And she's kind of like the the, the, gang, the low gangster mom. It'll be, it's like the, the dead end kids or the East End kids or whatever had a mom yeah, or grandma. Yeah, she's the small-time crook mom. Yeah, grandma. <laughs> small-time crook mom. Yeah, that's yeah. her. So, Aunt Nellie, she's called. Right. So they're like, all right, well, we're going to fake this old folks' home. Get a license for the old folks' home to raise money. So that'll be legitimate. And then all of these small-time crooks that owe Nellie favors or that, you know, just would do it for her because she's a good broad, we're going to get them to be Santas and then we'll rake in all this money and Bob Hope basically is like, I'm not going to tell anyone that I'm going to use this money to pay off this gangster. I'm going to tell him that I'm using it to like keep these old broads, you know, in this in this place. Mm-hmm. And so that's how the con goes off. Right. And he's going to leave these old broads high and dry. Somebody catches on at some point and says, wait, and that, and then you're going to like leave all these old ladies? And he says, uh, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, the, the problems will take care of themselves kind of thing. And you, and that it's at that point that you really kind of lose Bob Hope. You lose uh, uh, the Lemon Drop kids. You, you, you lose respect 
for him at that point because you start thinking like this is the kind of guy that would do that he seemed like a small-time crook but not a kind of guy who would like pull one over on a bunch of helpless little old ladies he's got to turn around some at some point and, and want to help these so you, you kind of like know that mm-hmm. yeah he's a mostly likable protagonist and the goons in this are all even the goons of the the mob boss are for the most part likable goons they're comical goons and they they help him out like you said because they either owe favors to nelly or they're just like hey it's christmas time this guy lemon drop kid is one of us and he's pulling this thing of trying to collect money on the up and up for this old folks home and all of these old ladies who live on lower broadway who are poor we see all the time it's like helping the poor and they they they're into it for the generosity of it and the happiness of it and every one of them is a little wacky yeah so that all the goons have you know there's the big dumb goon and then there's the smart well, and goon, there's the old guy goon and we should mention tor johnson is in this yes film. tor johnson is a goon yes uh tor johnson for those of you who are aren't aware of his name uh, he is the guy that that is in Plan Nine from Outer Space as the he's like a police chief, but then he's like a zombie yes. in the end. He also plays Joseph Shaborsky, noted, noted scientist. scientist in yes. uh, that's the Beast of Yucca Flats. Yes. And he also plays Lobo, and he goes, "Time for go to bed." He Tor Johnson was a Swedish wrestler. That was basically <laughs> what his that was his that was his main career. Is he yeah. was this guy? He was this big guy who was bald, who was from Sweden, who is a professional wrestler. And uh, I believe he has the second most highest, or he, at one point in time, had the second most highest selling Halloween mask. Right. The Tor Johnson mask. You can't find those these days. Or the ones you can are kind of like substandard and, and expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he kind of got famous for being in a lot of shitty movies as the big dumb guy. Yeah, the big dumb monster guy. And and uh, Bob Hope sees him. He's he's wrestling. He's wrestling. At he's a, wrestling, at a gym. And, he, and he picks some dude up and throws him out of the ring, or just like like knocks him out or something. No, just, he throws him out of the ring. He throws him out of the ring, and uh, Bob Hope goes up to him and says, "Hey, you want to work with me?" And, and put on a Santa suit, and he's like, "Okay, I put on Santa suit." And so all these people are out ringing bells, collecting money, and everything is going according to plan, right? Mm-hmm. For a little while all the ladies come and they live in the casino and they're all sleeping on uh, the, the game tables, tables. Yeah. yeah he's got he got old mats from the gym he couldn't afford mattresses because he's got no he doesn't have two nickels to rub together so he got some ma- old mats from the gym and he stole some linens from like the like, flop house hotel or something or uh, the ambassador hotel the, oh how do you get him from the ambassador he must have known somebody inside probably yeah, and uh, he and his girlfriend set up the old ladies, and the old ladies are really grateful. They're like, oh, wow, this is like the nicest building I've been in in my life. It's like, you know, Trump casino for them. They're just, everything is like, there's there's chandeliers on the ceiling and, you know, statues and all. It's like opulent. There's a fireplace. It looks like a grand thing. And they were used to staying in these horrible things, places and just sort of squatting, trying to make do. And he's got them this wonderful, magical place. And they sing... A song like uh, You're Innocent Till You Dream. That's all I can think of. It's not that song. It's a, a much more upbeat song. What is it like? You, you, it doesn't cost doesn't cost you any money to dream or something like something that. like that. Yeah. yeah, it's a forgettable song. It's it's <laughs> not the song that lived on uh, on Christmas albums for the generations. Yeah, but they put the old ladies, you know, to sleep and they, they to they put them to bed. They not put to them sleep. to sleep. That's different. Sleep. That's no, an entirely like, different movie. Right. And they're gonna go to shut off the lights and. What happens? Uh, well, it's it's a casino. It's like a speakeasy casino. So it's got all these like 
these fake walls and rotating tables and it's all high tech so that when they get busted all the gaming tables go away but you know yeah, still it, looks like a fancy place there's a switch on the wall and you flip there's it many switches on the wall and like the craps table goes moves and like a panel in the wall slides up and the craps table moves into the wall and the panel slides down right? it's a lot of rotating even the walls, fireplace the comes wall, up yeah, yeah the fireplace comes up i imagine in 1951 that people thought this sequence was fucking hilarious yeah it's just lots of people like zipping in and out of walls yeah and well, it was sped up and it was it was silly it was special effects but it was wasn't animated special effects. It was plenty of stagehands in a very coordinated sequence that they had to shoot to get all of these pieces to move in all of these different directions. The table would spin around and then go in this way and another table and it all happened simultaneously. And this was like, they, there was no, <laughs> there was no CGI. No, there was but no there stop was a lot motion of, animation. No, but there was a lot of uh, taking the film and yeah, speeding it up yeah. and, and slowing it down and reversing it and, and yeah, they jiggling rocked, it they back rocked and a forth. Few things yeah. here and there yeah they did the best they could with what they got but i mean it was they they put for some effort look, into for it for 1951 it was a special effects sequence yeah. and like i said i'm sure people thought it was fucking hilarious like that in the bing crosby jokes i just imagine that your grandpa's like you f- they fucking loved it right yeah the, the gangsters are bringing stuff to help him outfit the nursing home and they bring him a cow yeah just it's a like, cow for, there's a dairy truck and he's like oh what do you got the milk and cream for the ladies and so he says yeah we got your milk and cream and they walk out with a cow and you know hope is like what a cow and the guys are like yeah where do you think cream comes from and then some other guy stolen a statue off a horse in central park or something it's, it's this dude like like charging ahead with a it's sword a general yeah there's a general charging ahead with a sword but you see like from his waist down his legs are bowed as if they're around a horse and uh, hope says oh come on man you can't steal this thing this looks ridiculous just go put him back on his horse and then they pull the cover off the next statue and it's the guy's horse yep uh, these, these are, are the, the jokes yes these are the jokes uh it is kind of funny though i, I chuckled it's when, corny yeah it's corny but i chuckled it was i mean i I didn't look I don't think that I laughed as much as Eric did but it's certainly not like it's not objectionable I think it's much easier for me to laugh at corny stuff if it's old, if it's real old corny stuff, because I can kind of, my mindset kind of goes in that direction. If it's a modern movie or a, a later movie and they pull the corny jokes, it's it's less, I, I give it less and less uh, uh, interest because then it just seems like an old, you know, reused corny joke. But this was like, it's 1950s black and white movie. What do you expect? Those are the jokes you get. I'm, I'm not saying I was expecting anything else. The slapstick was reminiscent, I would say, of I Love Lucy episodes. Oh, yeah, you definitely. Know, lots of just wacky things happen. And there's plenty of slapstick. Huh? There's a whole like out. sequence where he's trying to hide money in a statue. Oh, yeah, while he's and, kissing his girlfriend. Right? <laughs> and his girlfriend walks outside because she doesn't know that he's been hiding the money. So he's, he's taking the head off the statue to shove a whole bunch of money in the statue. And the head does, hasn't gone back on to the statue yet, so he's got to distract her, so he kisses her. And it's this whole sequence where it's like, he can't quite get the statue's head on correctly with one hand, so then he's got to like do it with two hands, so he's like trying to get her to hold on to him while he's kissing her, and... It's, I mean, it's corny, but it's, a, it's, it's a, slapstick. It's a cute bit, it's well executed, and... It made me chuckle. and I'm not saying it didn't. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a laugh riot, but it did make me chuckle, and it's that's how things go. So, everything looks like it's going Bob Hope's way, but that's not how movies happen, right? No, there's got to be conflict, Eric. There's got to be conflict. So, 
what's her name? Brainy? Brainy is her name. Yeah. Brainy works. She's a showgirl. Uh, she works at a club. She works at a club, which is run by a gangster. And she ends up mentioning to the gangster, hey, the gangster wants to wants her because she's like the hottest chick in the place. And she says, no, no, no. I'm going to marry the lemon drop kid. And the guy's like, why do all the dames go for these losers? I got a lot of money and I'm a successful gangster and I'm a nice guy. I've treated her nice all these years yet. I can't get the first base with her, but she wants to be with this loser. And she says, no, 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 no. He's not a loser. He's doing actual work and he's collecting for a charity. Aunt Nellie's home for old dolls and blah, blah, blah. And this guy knows Lemon Drop Kid better than she knows Lemon Drop Kid. Well, early on in the film, uh, the Lemon Drop Kid goes to goes to Oxford Charlie to ask him for to borrow $10,000 so he can get himself out of this pickle. Oh, that's true. That's true. So he like, knows the deal. He, he knows, knows yeah. why, why money is being raised. He doesn't say anything to her, but he does know why the money is being raised. Right. And so it's like a crook is raising $10,000. I'm a bigger crook than he is. I can just take that $10,000. What the hell is he going to do? Look, guys, that is goon logic right there. And I applaud it because that is exactly how goons become bigger goons. Oxford Charlie. So Oxford Charlie steals the old dames from the nursing, the, the, the casino come nursing home, right? Yep. And, and keeps them locked up in his gangster home. Sure. Because, you know, everybody's got a gangster home. Yeah. He's got like a big place and he's got some goons guarding the doors and there's like these 10 old ladies, 10 or 12 old ladies he keeps in a couple of rooms up there and they're just sitting there knitting, you know, and kind of- I resemble that remark. Yeah. <laughs> these old ladies, I mean, it's not like they were, they had like a busy schedule, but they're locked up in this place and they don't like it and they like a, a lemon drop kid. They know he's a, he's a low level uh, scumbag, but he's their low level scumbag and he's always been, you know, if, if not fair, he's always treated them nice. So, sure, yeah. And this, you know, this guy, uh, 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 Oxford Charlie is, he's like a high level gangster and they don't want anything to do with him. Anyhow, something happens where it involves Bob Hope in drag, right? He, he, there's a whole comedy bit where he steals the outfit off of a woman in a Christmas window display. Yes, a la Marshall Fields. Yeah, a la Marshall Fields. It's, a, it's like a Santa Claus reaching repeatedly toward a woman to give her something. It's a present. It's a present. So he's, his hand goes out and then his hand comes back and then his hand goes out and then his hand comes back. You know, it's a little animated figure in the window, right? Mm -hmm. And then Bob Hope, it's like, a, it's like an episode of Mr. Bean at this point. I mean, or, or like you can see See where guys like Mr. Bean came up with his bits because it was it's a direct ripoff of something like this or a tribute to yeah I mean, people have been doing wacky people have been doing physical comedy for hundreds of years yeah. it's not like you know Bob Hope came up with this bit either I'm sure it was yeah. a Commedia dell'arte bit somewhere <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure it probably goes back to some like old like tribes out in out in the sand oh yeah Croc kind of was totally doing that shit way back in the BCs it, there was always somebody behind somebody else making fun of them and I mean so the fart the fart joke has existed since humans could pass well, gas yeah farts are funny Farts are funny. And then there's a cop watching from outside the window and he's hiding behind the Santa and he moves his arm behind Santa's arm and then gradually removes pieces of clothing from this mannequin, but it's a which naked, is kind of it's scandalous. A, it's looking, a naked yeah. mannequin because she got boobs. Yeah. And yeah. she topless at one point. So I can only imagine the scandal in 1950. Yeah. yeah all the people mm -hmm. are outside going, oh, I never in I the know, crowd They're is still gathering. staring though. Right. So just, you know, and then he, saying. He, while he's doing this, he knocks over the Santa and doesn't realize it. And he's just you know, reaching out. And At least one of those couples went home that night and was like, you want to reenact that window thing? <laughs> yes, let's do that. That was sexy. That's really hot. I'll be Santa, you be the lady. And then the guy was like, why do I always have to be the lady? That's the jokes. <laughs> it's my jokes. It's, uh, 
he he winds up in drag going to the gangster's house like because posing a, as an old lady to get in there and then it's he's a gonna, bob hope movie guys and eventually somebody ends up in drag mostly bob hope right uh, it's always funny to see a guy like Bob Hope in drag, especially little old lady 1950s drag, because it's like, you know, like Granny from the Tweety and Sylvester yeah, part- pretty cartoons. Much. He's got, you know, a veil on and like a, he's not wearing a bustle, but it's like a old tiny stuff. Some of those ladies are a little shady too, because like he comes in in drag and like sits down and knit with them and they're like, you know, girl, you got to wear a girdle because, um, mm-mm, you, you got to. Gotta keep that hourglass figure as good as you can get, but maybe, yeah. um, maybe you gotta. Yeah, you still have an hourglass figure, hun, but most of the sand has gone to the bottom. One mm-hmm. of them says, "Shady, <laughs> shady bitches." How about it? There's ever so many misunderstandings. There's a gun, and there's a bag of money, and there's a switcheroo, and there's all this kind of stuff. It turns out uh, that somehow they wind up back at the old casino. There's a sh- there's kind of a showdown, and it turns out that the Lemon Drop Kid had called the police to raid the place just at the right time when all the casino tables were out, and uh, the the main gangster was there. And yeah, uh, so the, the uh, it's it's just like the sting. Yeah, really. the main gangster gets gets snagged. Uh, Oxford Charlie gets snagged because he's trying to make off with all the money for the old folks' home. And the only one, only one who doesn't get snagged is Lemon Drop Kid because he's got a license to collect for this old folks' home. Right. So which he's is legit. The, he's legit, even though it's in the midst of this hugely non-legit Donnybrook going on. He's legit. Right. So he gets away. Uh, There's a little bit at the end where uh, the husband of Nellie is released from prison and comes home, and this party is for them, basically. Uh, but they need to get the <laughs> silverware for the ice cream and the cake, uh, which is located in the safe, and he's a safe cracker, so he blows the fucking safe up at the end. Right, right. While, while, while Bob Hope makes out with his girlfriend, sticking his fingers in her ears. It is so unsettling and disturbing. We saw this guy go off. He had a bag of tools. He's like, I don't do safe cracking anymore. And he's like, come on, man. You know you want to do this. This is what you do. And this, it's like totally legit. It's our safe. It's our stuff. We're, we're, nobody's going to bust you. So have at, it. It. have at it with your safe cracking tools. And he goes, oh, okay, go in there. And I'm thinking like, you know, he's going to like crack the safe. Yeah, he's going to have like a little step the scope and yeah, the thing like, and he's going to turn listen, listen to, to the, the tumblers yeah exactly he's going to do some safe cracking nah, stuff Nah, just blow that fucker up <laughs> okay, bob hope knew he was going to do it because he starts making out with his girlfriend sticking his fingers in the, her ears so and, disturbing yeah we're, you were like <laughs> I what was the like, hell is he doing I was like what is no that's no that is not okay that's do not, not put your fingers in my ears not sexy no ear fucking is not sexy i mean unless, unless you're like into Iggy it pop unless you're it. really yeah. into it and then you know, you go with your bad self. Right. And, uh, but then everybody gets married and everybody has, uh, it's a happy ending and it's a warm feeling and it's, it's good. But all of you are now wondering, like, so, so where's this Silver Bells thing come in? And it's, it, it doesn't really have any kind of story element to it. It's just well, no, Bob Hope it, it and does. his girlfriend. It does. Because one of the, one of the goons who is played by the guy who plays, uh, who's in I Love Lucy. Oh, yeah. William Frawley. William the guy that Frawley. plays, uh, yeah, uh, Fred Mertz. Right. He's in this movie mm-hmm. as a goon. Uh, he's a perfect goon. Uh, he is ringing. So uh, right, right, right. Okay. So yeah, Bob so. Hope comes along to collect all the money from the pots to like consolidate it. 
and he comes by where this guy is doing his shtick, and he's he's currently singing a song that is menacing and yeah. horrible. Silver bells, put some coins in the kitty. Yeah, ring. There was something about a Mickey. I yeah, think. I'll slip you a Mickey, and he's like, no, no, no. But no, no, you no. told me you wanted me to sing, right? And Bob Hope's like, no, you can't sing that shit. Nobody wants that. That's terrifying. Don't do that. It's not holiday appropriate. And then him and Carol Richards swells, right? Yeah, him and Carol Richards uh, come in with the actual song "Silver Bells," and then they do the sequence where they wander through the streets of. Well, when it's a long, unbroken tracking shot, crane shot, there's all kinds of crowd people going by. He interacts with people Mm -hmm. along the way. some guy says i love your santa suit and he says oh i think you're really cute and yeah there's like these little banter bits and the snow is falling i mean it's a really really nice little musical theater number like from an actual musical movie Mm -hmm. it's kind of smack dab in the middle of this and at the end the the orchestra swells and there's like an angelic choir and the camera pulls back from new york city and you see all the buildings covered in snow and it's like wow wow that was a beautiful end to the movie well and it's a nice christmas song because it doesn't have anything to do with jeebus it's a it's a purely secular christmas song and it is purely happy there are sappy moments and soft-hearted moments in this which kind of also i miss in comedies comedies are always so like edgy you know so silver bells would go on to be sort of bob hope's signature christmas song even though crosby made it a hit made it a hit the christmas before this movie came out crosby got a hold of the music and sang it and it was a huge hit right it was a huge hit it sold like people already knew the song when they went to go see the the movie right and so they went back and reshot this whole Silver Bell sequence that I'm talking about. Right. To be- make it bigger. To make it the glorious thing that it was. Because in the original movie, I guess it wasn't much of anything. It was just... It was just a song. Yeah. It was just yeah. another song. Yeah. It was an, they did an extended version, I think, of the song with like additional mm-hmm. verses and stuff. Right. And they're talking about city sidewalks, you know, holiday style. And even the streetlights are so bright red and green. And uh, you see the you see the stoplight and at the same time. And, you know, it's like all, it's, it's the, all this kind of stuff. It's Eric's paraphrasing of Silver Bells. I don't know the lyrics to Silver Bells. Uh, children laughing, something passing, and smiling at things. And on every street corner, you see something else. Tinkle Bells. Tinkle Bells. It was originally called Tinkle Bells. Yes, right? until one of the uh, one of the wives of the composer was like, you cannot call it Tinkle Bells. And they're like, why not? He's like, All the grade school kids tomorrow will have come up with new lyrics to your song and will be making making fun of it because it's p because p is the reason you cannot have tinkle bells as your song and they're like oh yeah i didn't think of that and the the lore is that the song is about the silver bells that are being rung by the santas on the street at the holidays but there's also a story that suggests that maybe it was just because there was a silver bell that was on the desk of the people who wrote the song and they were like, what do we got? What do we got around here? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, silver bell. Oh, that sounds a yes. little Christmassy. What can we do with that? Uh, yeah, you go back to the old Brill Building days when the songwriters were all on the like, all down the hall from one another. And there what was do we a, got? A we guy got that played the piano. And there's a guy that wrote lyrics. And they I were, got a flamingo here. Oh, flamingo's great. Let's do flamingo, a song about- Oh, it comes from Florida. Yep, perfect, perfect. And where the palm trees grow. Throw a dream yeah. in there and then we're good. Right. And we got a song. Yeah, and- uh, 
So it was based on A Silver Bell, and it was one of the hugest Christmas songs of all time. And it's tucked away in this movie that kind of nobody knows. Like, we had to go really looking for it to find it. It's not streaming anywhere, which kind of surprises me. It's streaming free on YouTube, a really nice copy. Yeah, I mean, the one, there's... Nobody's defending the... You can't, like, get it on Netflix or anything. Yeah. And I feel like around the holidays that these streaming services pick up every Christmas property they possibly can so that people can have christmas 24 7 oh my god so much of it's garbage and this is this is a sweet you could this is another one of these ones i would watch the lemon drop kid a million times over one viewing of one hallmark christmas movie this is like grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and the brothers and the cousins and the kids could all watch this movie the kids probably won't enjoy it that much because kids and the teenagers probably won't get it but it's not there's nothing offensive about it and there's nothing well, and it's almost nothing almost nothing offensive about it and it's it's uh, it's a warmity, you know. Sure, it's, it's it's a it's a warmity, and it's it goes down easy, and it's got a lot of like fun, funny characters, and nobody gets hurt really. Yeah, nobody does get hurt. I think you know somebody gets bonked on the head maybe once or twice or something like that. You know, somebody slips and falls. You know, Pratt falls. Is there a Pratt fall? I don't, I don't even remember. I don't know. I don't it's, think so. It's it's a movie that deserves greater recognition. Oh, in there my is a opinion. fucking fight. There is a straight up fight though. I just completely forgot about it. Bob Hope in drag just beats the shit out of Oxford Charlie. Was that Bob Hope or was that some guy in a, a Bob? That was, that was actually Bob Hope, wasn't it? I think because that was like, Bob you Hope. You can see his face. You can see his face. So that was Bob Hope. So there is a fight between him and Oxford Charlie in Oxford Charlie's office. Uh, right, there, there's a lot tra- of like drawer slamming. Yeah. There was a there was a there was okay. a gr- there was a really good phone slam that came real close to that guy's actual hand. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of good business in that uh, wacky st- the comedy stage fight was really nice because uh, uh, Oxford Charlie is called Oxford Charlie because he wears Oxford shoes. Well, well, doesn't everybody? Well, yeah, he does, but his are like size 15 or something. So, yeah, he's so got big feet. He's got big feet, and so there's a lot of like stamping on his foot and catching his foot in a drawer and like. But there's one point like, where they're choking each other and it looks like they're making out and a, a goon walks in and the goon's like oh actually charlie's getting with one of the old ladies yeah and, uh, like, he's and like, he just stands there for a few minutes he's like this is nice this is real nice all right i'm gonna yeah. go now that's yeah. sorry I, you guys keep going i'm and, just gonna go and so this is this is the thing it you recounting that to me brings a, a, a smile to my face i smile remembering that and that's in this world at Christmas time. That is one of the best things you can hope for is just a smile. I mean, it doesn't have as many people crashing through windows as Die Hard, but it does have some. There were at least two windows crashed through. I think I know there's at least one window crashed through. Nobody says yippee kaye, motherfucker, though. Silver bell, silver bell, it's Christmas time in the city. Thanks for listening to Cinema Super Collider. Follow us on Twitter at Cinema Supercast, or you can follow Eric at Dr. Algren on Twitter or at Eric Electric on Instagram. Or you can follow Megan at Wheel Tree Megan on Twitter or Instagram. 
If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. See you next time. Christmas makes you feel emotional. It may bring parties of thoughts devotional. Whatever happens or what may be, here is what Christmas time means to me. Strings of street lights, even stoplights, blink a bright red and green. Bring a ling. Hear them.